Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think I should probably just pray to kick it off because I need some. <laughs> Daddy, I just pray that you'll open hearts, open ears to what I have to say today. I just pray that these are your words, not mine, and that you'll just bless the words that I speak. In your precious name, amen. So when Ruth asked me to speak about um, Jesus, I kind of drew a blank because it's a pretty broad topic. Um, and I thought, where do I start? I figured with Christmas around the corner, what better way to talk about his birth? And then after prayer, I felt led to actually speak about the star and how it relates to the nativity and then how God actually, why he actually sent his son to earth in the first place. So I want to start by reading Matthew 2 verses 1 to 11. And I really like... Um, I don't know if we got the Passion Translation. We did. So um, it's yeah, sort of controversial, but I like the Passion Translation, so I'm going to go with it. Uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, near Jerusalem, during the reign of King Herod. After Jesus' birth, a group of spiritual priests from the east came to Jerusalem and inquired of the people, where is the child who was born king of the Jewish people? We observed his star rising in the sky, and we've come to bow before him and worship. King Herod was shaken to the core when he heard this, and not only him, but all of Jerusalem was disturbed when they heard this news. So he called a meeting of the Jewish ruling priests and religious scholars, demanding that they tell him where the promised Messiah was prophesied to be born. He will be born in Bethlehem in the land of Judah, they told him, because the prophecy states, and you, little Bethlehem, are not insignificant among the clans of Judah, for out of you will emerge the shepherd king of my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the spiritual priest from the east to ascertain the exact time the star first appeared. And he told them, now go to Bethlehem and carefully look there for the child. And when you found him, report to me so that I can go down I can go and bow down and worship him too. And so they left. And on their way to Bethlehem, suddenly the same star they had seen in the east reappeared. Amazed, they watched as it went ahead of them and stopped directly over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were so ecstatic that they shouted and celebrated with unrestrained joy. When they came into the house and saw the young child with Mary, his mother, they were overcome. Falling to the ground at his feet, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure boxes full of gifts and presented him with gold, frankincense and myrrh. So let's look at the star and the role it played in the birth of Jesus. The star played two key roles. One, it signaled to the men that Jesus had come, he's, he was born. And two, it led the wise men to him. How flippin' excited must these guys have been? One minute they were probably going about their wise duties, maybe debating scripture or counting their coins, because research shows these guys were likely to be loaded. And the next minute they're packing up and following a star. The level of excitement must have been so high. It says in verse 10, and when they saw the star, they were so ecstatic that they shouted and celebrated with unrestrained joy. I can see it now. Religious leaders, probably very proper and respected, letting loose and jumping for joy. I'm thinking they must have been groomed for this. 
they and many others knew the king of the Jews was going to make his appearance in little old Bethlehem. Verse 5 says he will be born in Bethlehem in the land of Judah, they told him. I'm thinking the level of expectation must have been off the charts. Man, I wish each time I spent time in his presence or got close to spending time with him, I whooped for joy or had the level of expectation the wise men had. Why were they so excited? Because they knew exactly what that star meant and the fact that it would lead them to him. These men knew who they were going to meet at the end of the star. Yes, a gorgeous baby for sure. But not just any baby, the son of God. I liken it to the excitement I felt when my nephew was born a few months ago. I couldn't wait to set eyes on him. To see who he resembled. Thankfully, more my sister-in-law than my brother. Give him a cuddle and breathe in that oh-so-sweet baby smell. But the wise men weren't coming for that. Although that may have been on their agenda. They were coming to bring gifts and worship him. Remember in verse 11, it says, When they came into the house and saw the young child with Mary, his mother, they were overcome, falling to the ground at his feet. They worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure boxes full of gifts and presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What do you bring with you when you meet with Jesus? Do you bring your gifts and feel compelled to worship? Or do you bring nothing except maybe complaints and lists of I wants? If I'm being perfectly honest, I can sadly relate to the letter with the lists of requests. But I've found that as I've journeyed with the Lord more, I've discovered there's a way there's way more to my catch ups with him. And I'm not laying my requests at his feet. It's changed to him laying his requests at my feet. And dang, that's hard, but it's far more rewarding. I then got to thinking more about the star and how it actually led the wise men to Christ. It got me wondering, what's your star? What's leading you to Christ? Is it the quiet time you get with him? Reading or hearing his word, maybe prayer? Or is it something out of the box? Maybe going for a surf or a run? Over lockdown, I decided to take up running. Maybe it was being homebound, but I'm sure I wasn't the only one with crazy ideas over that time. Me, who had never run very far in her life, I fully believe God didn't make us to be able to run, so why should I even bother? I got the Couch to 5K app and started running. At first, I ran for one minute. Believe me, that was more than I thought I was capable of. Before I knew it, I was running 5Ks. Was it this miracle app that helped me? Maybe, but I believe it was more God. We ran and we still run together. We have chats as I'm hitting the pavement. Chats of encouragement where he tells me he's proud of me. And chats where he challenges me. These times are an awesome way to start the day and I know they lead me to him. I then got to thinking more Am I being a star to others? Am I leading them to Christ through my words and actions? I know, the star's got me thinking heavy. This is a challenging thought. I would love to say that in all I do, I'm being star-like, leading people to Christ. But that would be a bald-faced lie. I can tell you, though, that I try. I try to when I use that 20 minutes that takes me to work and I 
pray. I do what I find super hard, and I actually listen to what God has to say back. Because prayer isn't supposed to be one-sided. It's not just praying and listening, though. It's actually doing, too. Just recently, I asked God what he wanted me to do for him that day. He told me to talk less and listen more. I wonder if I'm the only one he would say that to. I think we're supposed to be a star and lead others to Christ by chatting to God, hearing from him, being obedient and getting intentional. Over the dinner table, we like to ask each other what the best part of our day was. When we, and then we ask, how did you show Jesus to someone? Kens has said she showed a girl Jesus by playing with her and being nice, even though she didn't really want to. Pete said he refrained from road rage that day. And I cuddled and treated my most trained student with as much love as I could. But there are days when we reflect on it and we can't really come up with much. I think we've just got to be a bit more mindful that our job as Christians is to represent him well. As I prayed a bit more about the star and the wise men, God reminded me that when the wise men looked to that star, it led them straight to where they needed to go. There was no mucking about, no walking around in circles like the Israelites did. And I thought, how often do I take my eyes and my focus off him? And I end up going around in circles. After so much frustration and time wasted, I eventually get it that I need to put my focus back on him. I can just see Jesus now lovingly rolling his eyes at me. Once I get it for the hundredth time thinking, Oh, Deb, when will you learn my sweet pineapple lump? <laughs> That's a term Pete's given me, dark on the outside and blonde on the inside. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says, He will keep me in perfect peace when I fix my eyes on him. I love that. Now that I've unpacked the star and the wise men, look, let's look at why Jesus actually sent, um, God sent Jesus in the first place. I believe one of the reasons he was sent was to bridge the gap. Before Jesus, there was so much law in place, and it seemed God only had things to say to certain people, that he was this distant figure that you had to abide by a bunch of rules to connect with. But when Jesus came, he changed all that. He allowed us to connect with God in a real way, anytime, anywhere. After praying more about it, God pressed it on my heart to remind you that he sent his son for you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves us to bits. And I'm not talking about the love that we understand. I mean, I love others, but I ain't about to sacrifice my only child for them. I'm talking about a love that is far bigger and better than anything we understand. It's massive. He loves us, faults and all. It doesn't matter how many times we stuff up. He's always there with arms open, ready to catch up and connect. If you take any from anything from this, be it that you are loved to bits by an amazing God who sent his son at this special time of year just 
for you. And this, that his greatest desire is for you and him to have a real relationship. And also maybe, just maybe, I've made you think a little differently about the star and its importance to Christ. Thanks, Ruben. Well, I don't have a printer at home, so I'm reading off a laptop. <laughs> so, um, yeah, when I got asked to talk about um, something to do with Jesus and Christmas, I just thought, you know, the reason for the season. That's the only thing you think. <laughs> and um, I just I just thought um, I'll end the year with a bang, if that's all right with you, church. And I had this download um, from, from the Lord, and he said, turn my name into an acronym. <laughs> so I did. And, um, and I'm going to go through letter, letter by letter, starting with the letter J. And it's um, quite funny because there, oh, there was a theme of joy this morning. Everybody's been talking about joy. And guess what the first letter is? Joy. When you speak out his name, you have joy, instant joy. Speak his name over any situation and you have joy. But when you have that joy, it gives you strength. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, it says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. And it's so true. When I speak the name over anything in my life, it gives me joy and it gives me strength to go through whatever I need to. I've, um, yeah, I've had a few have like health things going on recently and in the past and you know, the doctors can tell you all sorts of things and tell you, like, probably the worst thing you want to hear. And then you just speak Jesus and it gives you joy. And it gives you strength to go through um, through that, whatever it is. And it gave me strength to go through. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's awesome. So the power of joy is strong. For example, if you're in a job and you don't particularly like that job, I'm not talking about myself, Paul, by the way. <laughs> This is just an example. <laughs> what are you saying over that job? Are you saying, oh, this is dumb, man. I hate this job. <laughs> or are you saying, Jesus, help me, give me strength. And you speak his name over that job. Any task that you do, it gives you strength and you, you're, you're able to go through it without, without any issues. So if you speak negativity over things, you'll carry on hating it. But if you speak Jesus over it, you'll all of a sudden feel a shift in your, in your mind or your mind and your heart and your soul and everything, your spirit. So, E, he is everlasting. Our everlasting hope. There is no end to him, and there never will be. There is nothing above the earth. There is nothing on the earth. There is nothing below the earth that can stop God. Because he is God. There is nothing that can stop him. It's as simple as that. And in Psalm chapter 90 verse 2, it simply says, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Even when this world ends, God will still be everlasting. There's no end to him. And if you believe in him and you're, you're born again and, and yeah, you follow him, then you will be too. You'll be everlasting as well, forever and ever. It's like an illustration I've seen a few times, and it doesn't really, you can't really comprehend it, but um, it doesn't really, well, it's like having a, a rope that's like 100 meters long, 
and it represents everlasting life. It still doesn't fully represent everlasting life, but if you had your life on this earth represented on that rope, it would be probably be about that much, and you've still got all of that rope left. It's never-ending. S, he is our saviour. He died on that cross for you and I, church, but more importantly, he rose again from the grave. No grave can hold him down. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is risen, and if you are born again, then so are you. I am risen, church. The old man was buried almost seven years ago in that water, and the new man has risen. And it says also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. This is a new Reese. The old is gone. You, I'm going through them pretty quickly. He is an unwavering God. Nothing can influence God. Not even social media influences. I know, it's pretty hard to believe. The meaning of unwavering is continuing in a strong and steady way. God is strong and he's steadfast. He's the same God that um, spoke to Abraham. He's the same God that parted the waters for Moses. He's the same God that made David king over Israel. He's the same God that sealed the lion's mouth so they wouldn't eat Daniel. He's the same God that rose Jesus from the dead. And he's here right now. He's in you. And he's, he's forever here, present. And also his love for you is unwavering. It is unmoving. Nothing can take his love away from you. Romans 8, uh, verse 38 to 39 um, says, For I am convinced that, n- that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate you from his love. That is unwavering love. S, the last S. He is the good shepherd. He will always leave the 99 for that one in the wilderness. He's, he's reaching out to you, church. He's reaching out to you if you're in the wilderness and you're lost. He's reaching. He's leaving all those saved people. He's going for you. It says in John chapter 10, verse 11, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for, his, for the sheep. When Jesus said this, he already knew what he was going to do. We are his sheep, and he already knew that he had to lay his life down for his sheep. And he did that, and he rose again so we can have eternal life with him. He also says three verses later in John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. He knows you inside out. He knows you from beginning to end. 
He, he knew you before even your parents even thought about you. <laughs> when you're a twinkle in your father's eye. And um, he knows how you tick. He knows your ins and outs. And he also accepts you as you are. He fully accepts you and loves you as you are. So I ask you, church, do you know him? Who is the shepherd who laid down his life for us? Who is this person that died on the cross for us and then rose again? Who is this one that gives us eternal life? Well, I'm going to finish off with a bang and I'm going to tell you who he is. Sorry, it's gone a bit quicker than I thought it would. Who is he? Well, he is the Almighty One. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the author of life. He's the beloved Son, the bread of life, the Christ, the cornerstone, our counselor, the creator. He is the deliverer, the desire of nations, the everlasting God, the first and the last, our forerunner, the good shepherd, the great high priest, the holy one. He is the I am, the just one, the king of ages, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the lamb of God, the Messiah, the mighty one, the prince of peace. He is the redeemer and he is the true vine. He is Jesus. He is Jesus, church. So if you don't know who he is, well, you better know now. <laughs> no, no, but that's, um, yeah, that's, that's what I had. And um, I just, yeah, I just thought I'd just bring Jesus across and um, who we are celebrating this Friday coming. We're celebrating his birth and who he was and what he did for us. Um, so just remember, when you're stuffing your face with uh, strawberries and chocolate, why you're there he's the reason for the season but he's also the reason for every season of our life not only this one even through this whole year he's been the reason for that whole season this whole year and next year and the year to come after that and every year after that so yeah thank you church